You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Simon Walthorton. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 18 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me back in my kitchen studio is uh, my co-host Simon Walthorton. Hello, Simon. Hello, Carlos. And... uh... Hi, and uh, hope you're okay, because uh, I know you've had uh, a little operation yesterday. I was, wasn't going to mention it, but I think I will, um, because uh, let everybody uh, know the situation. Yes, yes, I had a, a small, a, a minor, minor operation on my back. Nothing yet too serious, but uh, I'm recuperating now, so uh, just uh, uh, relaxing. I've yeah. got, uh, got a little uh, week off, so... Uh, yeah. Plenty of time to, to plane watch. Yeah, yeah, as we've been doing for the last uh, <laughs> hour. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we kind of um, uh, intended on starting the podcast uh, recording a bit sooner, but uh, we spent the first sort of uh, hour of uh, Simon's arrival here on uh, Plane Finder and uh, uh, Flight Radar 24. But the Flight Radar 24 just gone off for some reason, which we were yeah, sort of a bit confused about. So as we record this episode then, it's the 26th of April, a Saturday, and it's just come up to 10 o'clock, Simon. Yes, yes, and uh, looking out the window, the weather has taken a little bit of a turn again, and uh, we've uh, had a rain for the last sort of few days, and wasn't it strange weather uh, yesterday? <clears throat> yeah, it was, that was kind of, um, that rain for a quite, a, quite a good part of the day. Yes. It was still, it was still <coughs> warm though. Yes, warm. Uh, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> Simon's choking. Again, again. and um, yeah. I was uh, looking at the fog, because it was foggy to start with when we got up, and then uh, I was on the school run, and I took the uh, girls, and then all of a sudden, uh, it's very rare, I don't know if I've uh, ever heard it happen before, or seen it happen before, we had heavy rain and fog, you don't normally get that, do mm. you? Yeah, I remember that, yeah. And I... the, and uh, then I uh, put their flight radar on, I was watching Norwich Airport, and uh, the planes were circling around there for quite a few hours, uh, with a Fokker... Uh, 70s and 100s and um, private Learjets and other prop aircraft. Um, so there was quite a few delays, and not just in East Anglia, but uh, quite a few places all over the country because it was quite dense, that fog. Mm. It's kind of a sort of a warm, muggy day yes, towards the end yes. of the day. It was quite mild, yes. wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. So I had a treat uh, this week, Simon, as you you, you know, because I, uh, I sent you a message straight away as soon as I um, saw it. But um, what I think it was... was it, Friday or oh no Thursday, yes. Thursday Thursday <laughs> evening, this week uh, ventured out the back garden just to uh, see what the wife was doing out in the garden. Um, heard a thudding noise, uh, looked up, and uh, there, flying over uh, our village, was uh, a V twenty two Osprey. Yes, yes. Um, which uh, was the first, only the only the second time I've seen one now yes. since I saw one at Farnborough. Two yes, years ago. now they are going to be quite a, a sort of common sight uh, over. Our area because they're based at Mildenhall. I think I don't exactly know how many they've got. I think about eighteen to twenty of those based there. So um, it did actually fly over mine, and I was actually talk, talking to you and texting, weren't we? Um, a little a little beforehand on this, and um, I heard it come over. I ran outside, and it had just gone. It was heading towards Norwich Airport, and then obviously it must have turned back and uh, went straight into Mildenhall. But God, the whole house was shaking. Shaking, I know that much, and. Yeah. Uh, it's a strange noise, and I've seen them at Riat uh, to display there um, a few years back, and that's my first experience. But they are a lovely uh, aircraft, and I know you've 
sat in one uh, at Farnborough and talked to the pilots. Yeah, which yeah, was, I was uh, lucky. nice. Must yeah. have been nice. That was awesome. Yeah, we uh, we went on board that one at Farnborough two years ago, and that's uh, that was an absolutely awesome aircraft to uh, to go on to. And then we obviously saw the aircraft flying at the at the display at Farnborough. Yes, um, they look like uh, scorpions when they're in the air. Do you think that? Because if you look at the shape of them, because they can they can actually be. Either can't they? They can either be a helicopter or a or, yeah, an, or, an, or, or a prop aircraft, air, yeah. prop aircraft, which is uh, quite <laughs> sort of strange. But they are they are sort of graceful and elegant and quite scary to watch in the sky. Um, yeah, they, they obviously have that distinctive sound as well. Yes. The Ospreys have that yes. distinctive sound because of the um, because of the rotors on the aircraft yeah. are so huge. Yeah. Um, but that was that's an awesome sight. That, yeah. really, that made my evening. That yes, did. yeah. Really I, did. I think um, that won't be the last time you see see one of those. And I think uh, you'll be seeing a few more of those. In the coming years, so if you live around uh, the sort of East Anglian area, um, do keep your eyes open and uh, let us know if you uh, spot any of those. And uh, also, the obviously the Apaches are at Watcham as well, so they're uh, an aircraft which we uh, see quite a lot of on night exercises and uh, night training, which is uh, quite nice. And also the uh, V twenty two as well, the Osprey can refuel in mid air. Yes, um, I did uh, see that on uh, Facebook. They were talking to one of the pilots, and they. Actually, there is some footage on there um, of a refueling. That must be quite, quite something uh, scary to do because those two rotors uh, going round, and you've got a, a a big fuel nozzle which is swaying about in the uh, updrafts and downdrafts of the aircraft. It's uh, well, both aircrafts themselves. So that must be quite a. A sort of a job that I wouldn't like to do. It's quite sort of intense and to concentrate on that, especially with the wind and trying to keep the aircraft st- stable and still um, as much as the, uh, you possibly can. The width of the rotor blade or the width of the rotors on that aircraft are 84 feet, 7 inches. Yeah, wow. Which is <laughs> it's quite staggering really, isn't it? For- yes, yeah. Um, but uh, no, that was that was nice. That was made a nice. Uh, and then after the uh, Osprey had flown over, there was a Fokker One Hundred flew over <laughs> as well. Um, that was quite low. Well, yeah, that was that, that uh, one that you didn't know what the airline was. What was that again? I can't remember. Hellenic was it Hellenic? Yeah, yeah something Hellenic, like that. So yeah, something. Yeah. yeah, and that was taken off from uh, Norwich Airport and uh, was heading uh, to Europe somewhere. That's it. Oh, well, we better kick off the show, really, Simon, don't we, with yeah. some news? Yes. We can't sit here and chat all day. Well, we could do. Well, I don't mind. We can talk aircraft all day. I didn't care. All weekend. All, all weekend, all exactly. Week. So we're going to kick off the show then, uh, as we always do, with uh, the weekly news. So if you're ready to go, Simon. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. So it's been quite a quiet week uh, this week, hasn't it, Simon, yes, for news? There's yes. not been a huge amount of stuff no, going on. No, and uh, like we said, we're going to try and keep it to a minimum on the uh, uh, missing aircraft. Uh, still no uh, news on that, although there's been there's been talk of pieces washed up on the uh, coast of Australia. They've, they've but, been discounted now, yeah. Yes, um, and, but we're just still still sort of puzzled that there's not been a single life jacket, a single piece of um, flotsam. Yeah, from the aircraft, nothing, yeah, nothing, nothing whatsoever. So it's uh, very strange. Um, so nothing to report on that, really. So uh, we'll uh, we'll just keep following the news as we do. Yes, um, and update you uh, as and when uh, we get more information. Yes. 
So, first piece of news then, uh, this is the Bristol Post, and this is regarding the tycoon Sir James Dyson. Uh, those of you uh, who know who recognise the name Dyson will know uh, he's the chap who invented the uh, the, the um, Hoovers, the Dyson Hoovers, and he is to get his own two million p- uh, pound uh, hangar at Bristol Airport. Um, the uh, the Sir James Dyson he's worth an estimated three billion pounds, so uh, it will come as no surprise that uh, Sir James Dyson has had his own or having his own personal jet parked at Bristol Airport. The £40 million Gulfstream jet is ready uh, around the clock to whisk the businessman to any corner of the world at the drop of a hat. And now he's having this £2 million hangar built, purpose-built, to house the plane. Uh, The hangar's being built on the site used by Bristol Flying Club on the opposite side of the runway to the main terminal building where there are plans to build a Royal Mail facility there as well, but they've been dropped in favour of building this new hangar. Uh, The airport and Sir James' firm refused to comment on the fact a private jet is to have a permanent home at Lullsgate, and a spokesman for the airport said that works commenced on the construction of the new hangar on the south side of the airfield to serve as the base for an executive jet operation. Once completed, the hangar will house aircraft, including a Gulfstream G650 with a range of 7,000 nautical miles. And uh, the actual club, the flying club that's based there on the airport, as well as moving into a, a new hangar as well. And the Gulfstream G650 jet is an eight-seater business jet um, that boasts that it's the gold standard of business jets. And the it's the flag said to be the flagship um, of the Gulfstream uh, fleet and flies faster and further with and in more comfort than any other business jet in its class. So uh, that's nice for uh, the uh, Mr. J- Sir James Dyson there yes. having his own hangar at, yes. uh, at the at the airfield. Yeah, that's um, I suppose. Uh- in a way, that's peanuts him, two million, isn't yeah. it? I, think well, I suppose billion. if you're a multi-millionaire, you yes. can afford to uh, afford to have these um, yes. these luxuries, I suppose. Yes, but, definitely, uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean that's probably I mean that's probably brought some work in as well for yes. uh, Bristol yeah. Airport. So yeah. that's good, really, yeah. that way. So next piece of news then from the Daily Record website, and this one uh, is regarding something that I've uh, I signed up to uh, quite a few years ago, and occasionally I do um, um, spend a tenner <coughs> on, on it. Uh, for those of you who've flown through most of the UK airports, you've probably seen the best of British um, stands, which have the sports cars and the uh, expensive motor vehicles and stuff on the stands. And you can pay to uh, to go in a, in a competition to win the um, cars. You've you seen them, Simon, at the yes. airports? Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've seen uh, them at uh, Heathrow, and uh, there's been... Uh... Audi, R8s, uh, Ferraris, um, Aston Martins, but I've never actually seen something like this where you, um, you've you actually seen a winner. So <laughs> it does prove you ca- someone does win it, but the tickets, yes. tickets are quite expensive, aren't they? And yeah, you, you have a choice of, um, <clears throat> of, of sort of prices you can buy tickets for. But uh, this chap here, um, Jim Kildays, uh, his holiday post blues were vanished in seconds um, when he was handed the keys to a brand new Jaguar, our coupe, our coupe at Edinburgh Airport after returning from Mallorca with his wife and 10-year-old grandson. His dreams came true um, uh, and the ho- lucky holidaymaker and touched down at Edinburgh Airport and landed himself a shiny £85,000 sports car. 
Jim Kilday's post-holiday um, blues vanished in seconds as he strolled through the arrivals hall and was handed the keys to the brand-new <coughs> Jaguar R Cooper, a Coupe. The 70-year-old, who was just back from Mallorca with his wife Dorothy uh, and their 10-year-old grandson, had entered the competition to win the motor vehicle before jetting out to Spain the week previous. He paid £9 for his ticket and headed off to the sun, telling himself, <coughs> I'll never win that. Um, he's been doing these competitions for a while now and never wins anything. And um, ironically, Jim, who runs his own company, Calder Fuels, brought a new Land Rover Discovery just days before the holiday. And uh, the competition itself is run by a London company called Best of uh, Best. And the managing director, William <coughs> Hindmarch, flew up to the capital yesterday to deliver the good news to Jim. He initially posed as a taxi driver, holding a board emblazoned with the name Kilda in the arrivals hall, and uh, it was a great surprise for Jim um, to to win this particular prize. So that just goes to prove there that uh, that, that, that people do win these cars yes. that you see at the airports. Yes. Um, I I never have done. No, no. no. <laughs> I've, I've entered before. Um, my wife normally uh, says something along the lines of "Don't waste your money on that." Um, but uh, I tend to, in the holiday spirit, I do tend to have a little uh, have a go every now and again. Yeah. But uh, certainly, yeah, certainly good. But I, I would prefer actually, Simon, if it was an aircraft that you could win. Yes, that would be that nice. Would be good. Yeah. You never <coughs> see any aircraft in competitions, do you? No, to no, win. No. Strange, isn't it? That would be like you know, a little Cessna or something <coughs> um, winning yeah, a competition. That would be great. So, next piece of news from the Travel Mole website. This one um, is regarding uh, air passengers who are owed hundreds of millions of pounds. Uh, Passengers failed to claim around two hundred and forty million pounds they were entitled to for delayed or cancelled flights last year, but the figure was lower than three hundred and fifty-five million that was left unclaimed in two thousand and (coughs) twelve, according to passenger rights specialist RefundMe. The no-win-no-free-fee firm, which helps eligible passengers fight for compensation under EU regulations, said airlines were getting better at keeping delays under the limits that would trigger payments. Since 2004, passengers have been entitled to claim compensation of up to £490 for late cancellations of flights or delays of more than three hours, or other uh, than due to extraordinary circumstances beyond the airline's control. After nearly a decade of citing poor justified extraordinary circumstances to avoid compensation payments, airlines appear to have turned the corner on both service and post-service quality, said RefundMe founder and CEO Eve Bushner. Some airlines now have more aircraft on standby or move pre-empty smoothings over with customers to offering vouchers and air miles and accommodation <coughs> more willingly. RefundMe processed more than 10,000 compensation claims last year. More than £3.3 million was refunded to passengers and a claim success rate of 94%. However, it says a planned review of EC261, the directive by the European Parliament, which is considering amending the legislation so that passengers would not be entitled to compensation for delays of less than 5, 7 or 12 hours, uh, could jeopardise the, pros- uh, the progress made so far. Uh, so that's that's something I didn't realise, Simon. That um, I mean, I know you can claim a, a, a certain bit back, yes. but uh, there's a lot of money there that could be claimed back. Yeah, and um, I would imagine uh, you're on me with this one that uh, some of that money uh, could even be ours. 
Yes, I, I've well uh, had uh, quite a few delays in my uh, travelling years so far, um, which we don't obviously get the compensation we should do, really. And I'll make a note of this uh, website. So Refund me. Yes. So that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a heck of a lot of money, isn't it? Mm, that's a lot Unplanned. of money. And what, what happens to that money? Does it just... Well, I don't know. It goes back to the airline. The airline doesn't lose out, I suppose, if no one claims. Um, <clears throat> it does, yes. But uh, just one to think then uh, for the passengers listening to the show, then if you're delayed, make sure you, um, if the delay is too long, that you you might be uh, eligible for uh, some compensation. So next news story then from the Buying Business Travel site. Um, this one is regarding Heathrow's Terminal 2. And uh, the Queen is to officially open the new Terminal 2 building in June this year. The Queen's Terminal will op- open on June the 4th, with the Queen performing the official opening three weeks later on June the 23rd. The Queen opened the old Terminal 2 in 1955, before it was demolished after 54 years of service. United Airlines will become the first airline to move into the new terminal, with the rest of the Star Alliance carriers moving in over the following months. In March, Heathrow Airport's development director, John Holland Kay, um, said it will be difficult to provide the perfect passenger experience over the first few days at Terminal 2. And Holland Kay, who was speaking at Terminal 2 uh, briefing in central London, said he couldn't guarantee the opening uh, few days would run smoothly, but hoped to eventually <coughs> emulate the success of Heathrow's Terminal 5. So that's good news then for travellers yes. travelling from Heathrow then? Yes, and uh, I'm looking at the photos here, uh, Carlos, and that looks quite an impressive uh, sight. Because um, over the last sort of, I don't know, quite a few years, uh, while I've been flying in and out of Heathrow, um, coming back from the States, I've uh, actually seen the development of this. But since the last time I actually flew into there, which was 2012, it's actually um, looking uh, just about complete now, and um, it's looking quite impressive. Yeah, that is. But I don't think they're going to have the um, teething problems the same as Terminal 5, do you? No, I don't think they're, they're going to have such the, 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 the problems that they had at Terminal 5, because yeah. they did have quite a lot there when that opened. Um, plus the Queen will be there to open yes. it uh, again this time, so that they've got uh, they've got to make things, sure things yes. run fairly smoothly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. But, uh, yeah, like we said, United Airlines are going to be the first airline. Yes, and that is one of uh, my favourite airlines that I fly on anyway. So, um, yeah, that'll be uh, something uh, good. So look forward to that in June then. Next piece of news, Travel Weekly then. Star Alliance, um, following on from that last story, Star Alliance are aiming for a 45-minute transfers at Terminal 2. The Star Alliance... uh, Group are targeting transfer times as short as 45 minutes when its 23 member airlines move into the new Terminal 2 building at Heathrow. The 23 carriers are due to move in over a phased five-month period, starting with, as we said, United Airlines in early June. Speaking at the unveiling on Wednesday of a new 78-metre sculpture, which will greet passengers travelling through the terminal, Star Alliance Chief Executive Mark Schwab said that an initial objective would be to reduce transfer times from the current 90 minutes plus to around an hour. He confirmed that uh, the next target would be to attempt the uh, rival times achieved by Amsterdam Schiphol Airport of around 45 minutes. Terminal 2 combines the best technology with the best service and will allow us to provide customers with a completely new service at Heathrow. 
and London Heathrow represents an extremely important centrepiece among many centrepieces around the world, and nowhere else do we have as many airline members operating in one place. The new Terminal 2 has cost £2.5 billion to uh, build and will be home to Aer Lingus, Virgin Atlantic, Little Red and German Wings in addition to the Star Alliance uh, carriers. And the new Slipstream sculpture has been designed by uh, British artist (coughs) Richard Wilson and will become one of Britain's most viewed public sculptures as uh, people enter Terminal 2 and they're looking to welcome 20 million passengers a year through the terminal. What do you think of that sculpture, Simon? Um, looking at it, it's quite unusual, isn't it? It just looks like a load of twisted metal, <laughs> which it is. <laughs> do you remember, Simon, I think it's at Gatwick, I'm sure it's at Gatwick Airport, they had that uh, big um, uh, nose cone, um, aluminium um, kind of nose cone with the water cascading yes, down. Yeah. I think that was at Gatwick, I'm pretty sure it was at Gatwick. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing that. I remember that as a child, seeing that there years and years ago. Um, it's yes. quite a stunning piece of sort of yes. architecture. But this this sort of sort of reminds me, as Simon says, of a, of a twisted um, mangled metal, twisted piece of mangled metal. I can't really see any sort of aviation kind of. Um, no, unless it's just the. Uh, it's made out of aluminium. Yeah, unless it's the spirals from the a draft of an aircraft, which it could mm-hmm. be. Um, but. Um, yeah, another thing, um, most people would most probably know about the Star Alliance, um, but I will give you a bit of info, and Carlos will as well. Star Alliance is a group of uh, airlines which are all linked together and uh, code share each other's flight um, uh, routes and uh, details. So, so if you want to fly one airline and then go to another airline, which is the Star Alliance, you can do that, so they code share mainly don't they yes they do a lot of the airlines there co-chair we're just um looking at the, the star alliance group they uh, consist of adria aegean air canada air china austrian asian air, or asiana airlines ana air new zealand avianca brussels airlines copa airlines croatia airlines lot polish airlines eva air and ethiopian egypt air lufthansa scandinavian airlines shetsnian airlines Singapore Airlines, Thai, TAP Portugal, Swiss Air, South African Airways, Turkish Airlines, and United. Yes, and if you actually look, you will know if you're on a Star Alliance. Um, next time you fly, look towards the rear of the fuselage or at the front of the uh, fuselage near the uh, cockpit. You will see the little Star Alliance logo, and which will confirm that it's part of the Star Alliance group. So, yes, if you don't uh, know um, what airlines... Uh, just look at the aircraft on the outside and you should see the Star Alliance logo and that will confirm that you are in the Star Alliance group. Yeah, if you can also go on to the StarAlliance.com website, you can see on there and that uh, they've got some more info as well on uh, their move into Terminal 2 at Heathrow. And you can also see the list of the airlines I've just mentioned uh, who are part of the Star Alliance group. So, uh, so yeah, well, look, uh, I might uh, try and fly from there um, next year, Simon. Yes, yeah. <laughs> So the next piece of news then uh, is uh, regarding something I didn't realise existed, but it has. Uh, it's been around for a little while now. EasyJet's iPhone app. Um, I haven't got an iPhone. Uh, I've got an iPod. Now, um, now, while you mention this, I've actually got the EasyJet app on uh, my Samsung phone. Um, 
which is um, good. And I use that when uh, my wife's uh, mum comes down from uh, Scotland. So hmm. that is, and I've done it to book flights as well. So, so this is regarding the EasyJet's iPhone app, and uh, they're adding real-time flight status updates to the app. So EasyJet passengers who carry iPhones can now re- uh, receive real-time flight status updates via push notifications. Customers who brought bu- the Budget Carries app will receive live messages that are sent to their smartphones to let them know when online check-in opens or when travel documentation needs to be added to bookings. Uh, it also notifica- uh, notifies passengers um, if flights are going to be delayed or, or on time. The airline said that notifications would ensure customers were always aware of its flight tracker tool, uh, which is available on the app and also on the mobile website. Flight Tracker, which was launched last year, provides users with instant information about the flights on the airline's network. And Peter Duffy, EasyJet's Group Commercial Director for Customers, Products and Marketing, said the use of push notifications will transform the way that we communicate with passengers. It's yet another way in which EasyJet's using technology to keep passengers informed. And they'll be be, uh, providing them with targeted messages and helpful reminders at various steps of their journey to make things easier for them when they're on the move. That's a good idea, Simon. Yes, and uh, I think uh, what you'll be doing uh, once this is fully operational, you'll be able to check in on your phone and... um, Mm. Check mm. uh, what time well, B- you can check in with BA, can't you? On, yes, on your uh, smartphone. Yes, and uh, I think uh, most most other airlines are going to follow with this because it's just simple. You're carrying a phone, and you're going to save time. And you're uh, carrying your phone. You can just press a button, check in, and then find all your flight details. Get everything up, so you know where you stand. Whether your flight is delayed, whether it's going to be late uh, landing, or or anything, or it's a change of time, or uh, any delay. I think or, one of the things I, I always tend to do, Simon, that you probably do as well, when you're at the airports, you have your uh, you have your smartphone on, you're on flight radar 24, yes. <laughs> tracking <laughs> tracking your inbound flight uh, yes, and uh, yeah, seeing whether it's late in or yes, um, yes, it's, uh, what, it's a brilliant app to uh, and also Plane Finder yes. as well as and a then really what was that Radar Box as well? Yeah, there's uh, Radar Box 24 as well is another good site you can have mm, on like your laptop one. or your home computer. There's there's a few really good sites now on online where you can track aircraft and for people like me and Simon who um who you know you see an aircraft in the sky and you think it's oh, oh, wonder what that is where where's that going how high is that how fast is that yes. going you know uh, where's it come from yes. how old is it when did it first fly yes. um, these apps uh, especially the plane finder one is uh, is a really good app for finding out stuff like that um, and also flight radar twenty four as well they're such good apps for finding out information like that. Yes, and uh, as we're um, sort of using it more and more, we're now coming to the sort of uh, stage where at certain times of the day, you think, yeah, I know what that is. That's a Norwegian uh, shuttle uh, going over because that's the red and white one. <laughs> so I know that one, and we know the SAS ones that are coming over and the KLM City Hop as we know sort of the times. But that um, we've had a few Airbus A380s come over, and mm. the time I left off uh, work, uh, I think it was a few weeks back, and uh, you just saw it. Um, That's it. Yeah, a little after me. So it you, was, you uh, do. You, you do. When you when you're as uh, as geeky as me and Simon are, you you tend to get to the stage where you'll be sitting watching. Uh, like I do, I sit watch telly, and you hear the noise outside. Yes. 
and you know that that is um, a certain aircraft, a certain aircraft uh, an airline, and you know where it's going. I mean, we get the Air China one come over here every yeah, night at yes. 10 to 10 at night. Yes. Um, the, Air, the Air China one, um, going to Badong. And um, we've also started getting this 787 Dreamliner come over here frequently now with Air India. Yes. Um, yes. Which, uh, which you can sort of uh, hear flying over, always at night time, so you can't see nothing but the uh, con lights when it's a clear night. Yes. But, but it's good. It's they're they're such a good thing now that you can uh, you can just track track aircraft. Yes, and um, uh, the only thing that um, just sort of saddens me a little bit, and it's done for security, I would imagine, is that we can't get the military uh, no ones up <laughs> as of yet. But I have seen some websites on uh, plane spotters, uh, um, Facebook websites, that they do actually. You can there is an application for um, looking at um, inbound flights to react. Um, which is RAF Fairford and uh, one or two other military bases. So I'm going to look into that a bit more detail. Yeah. So moving on then, next story. Uh, this one I found just before we start the show, just before Simon came in. Uh, for those of you who know uh, or heard of the airline Transaero, uh, they're a Russian uh, airline. And uh, they are to configure their Airbus A380s when they're delivered later this year to seat 652 passengers. Um, It's revealed that its forthcoming A380 aircraft will each seat a staggering 652 passengers. The capacity dwarfs that aboard Air France's latest Super Jumbo, which seats 538 passengers, the current record, and flies daily to San Francisco. The Russian airline Transero, which has four Super Jumbos scheduled to enter service, will configure the plane to seat three different classes, with 12 in Imperial class, which is first class, 24 seats in business, and 616 in economy. Imperial class will be located at the front of the aircraft on the lower deck and will feature 12 closed suites in a 1-2-1 configuration with fully lie-flat seats and the largest in their class with retracting blinds to ensure privacy. Business class will accommodate 24 cocoon-style seats which can be transformed into 180-degree lie-flat beds and the business class cabin will be located in the front of the aircraft on the upper deck in a 1-2-1 configuration. Now, the economy uh, section is going to contain the 616 seats and will be located on the lower and upper decks and with a seat pitch uh, between 31 to 32 inches, while the seats will be configured in the 343 rows on the lower deck and in 242 rows on the upper deck. Transero's A380s will be equipped with high-speed in-flight entertainment and access and the KA-band mobile communication system. Olgo Pleshkakova, uh, Transero Airlines CEO, said that when developing uh, the interior design of our A380s, we strive to make use, uh, full use of the advantages of this type of aircraft. And the unique passenger capacity provides uh, for a very comfortable conditions for passengers when creating the new configuration. We referred to uh, Transero's extensive positive experience of operating aircraft with 522 seat capacity. They're certain that uh, for the first A380 aircraft uh, in the Russian market, it's going to be a very popular among clients, both on domestic and international routes. And the launch of their operation will become a new step in the development of Russia's uh, commercial aviation scene. 
Transaero is Russia's second largest carrier after Aeroflot. And in 2012, Transaero signed a code share deal with Virgin Atlantic on flights between Heathrow and Moscow. What do you think of that, and Simon? That's, 652 passengers. Yeah, well, I'm looking at this as you've uh, been reading this, and that looks quite cramped to me. What do you think? Well, on the seat pitch, 31, 32 inches, not a bad um, seat pitch. Well, the it's premium economy uh, pitch. It's a little bit more than that, isn't it? 33, 34 mm, uh, premium. Up, up on some, yeah. I mean, uh, well, I've uh, flown... Uh, normally try and get an upgrade from economy to premium economy uh, free of charge, and... Uh, uh, it is a large aircraft, though. Yes, it is. It is a large aircraft. This is the largest configuration as of uh, to date, isn't it? With any airline, yeah, they yes. are. Transaero will be the largest um, largest configuration of passengers. They they are filling the aircraft to its uh, to nearly its full capacity of seating. Yes, yeah. But uh, not a huge um, first class though. No. Twelve twelve uh, first class. Um, uh, seats and yeah, Simon, yes, not a huge amount, but no. so they, they are going for uh, for filling it up with yes, uh, filling economy it. seating. Yeah. So, but uh, be interesting to see. They've not set a date yet uh, when the three eight is going to come into service with them, but I'd imagine it will be sometime this year. Exactly. Say how many uh, uh, what fleet of aircraft they're going to be buying? Well, they've got four. Oh, they've, they've got, got four, four right. on order. Um, but not when they're going to come into service right. with Transaero. We're not uh, we're not sure. It doesn't quite say yet. But uh, be interesting to see when they have the um, the Seat Guru app and they they show you the seat and plans of yes. aircraft. It'll be interesting to see a seat yes. and plan um, of how they've they've packed those seats in there mm. to see what they're like. So next piece of news then is uh, about Virgin Atlantic, and um, this is on the Canada.com website, and they're saying about uh, Virgin Atlantic sitting on the fence um, about flying the <coughs> A380. UK billionaire Richard Branson's Virgin Atlantic Airways still is not sure whether it will ever fly the world's largest passenger plane as it pre- uh, prepares for delivery of its first Boeing 787 Dreamliner. They've got six options for uh, A380 Airbuses, and uh, they have deferred those uh, a number of times, but they haven't yet decided what they're going to do when it comes time for a, uh, you know, a terminate the batch decision. Virgin's last deferred options for the Super Jumbo in July, um, pushing a potential delivery for 2018, after being among the first to order the double-decker plane from Toulouse, France-based Airbus in 2000. <clears throat> it's expecting delivery of its first 787 Dreamliners from Chicago-based Boeing in September this year and plans to welcome passengers aboard starting flights in November this year. The UK Airlines A380 hesitance mirrors uh, reluctance by other carriers that have deferred or reduced orders for the aircraft, which is marketing as easily accommodating 525 passengers in a standard three-class configuration. Air France KLM Group, Europe's largest airline, may drop the final two of 12 planes ordered and the Dutch Lufthansa AG, Europe's number two, last year cancelled orders for three of the A380s. The addition of the Boeing 787 Dreamliners to Virgin's fleet uh, replace the ageing A340s will help improve the efficiency and allow the carrier to burnish its image for flashy customer service, according to Krieger, Virgin uh, 
who are known for uh, resort-like lounges and motorcycle <coughs> pickups and a large array of onboard entertainment options. Um, this this is sort of something that uh, that I've followed over the last few years because yes. I thought that uh, Virgin would have picked up the A380 well, you know, sooner, but yes. uh, they're, <coughs> they've decided to, to wait, hmm. um, which I think a lot of airlines probably wish they had done with the 787 Dreamliner, yes. wait uh, to, uh, to uh, purchase those. Yeah, but they've those. held uh, back. If you had a choice, I'm going to put you on the spot now, <laughs> of this. <laughs> the Bo- I know they're two different uh, sorts of aircraft, but if you had the choice of the Boeing 787 Dreamliner or the uh, A380 and you had an airline of your, your own, what would you pick? <sighs> Simon, um, it's a quite a hard one, isn't it? Because, <clears throat> well, I've, I, I, I will have to say, I know you're not going to agree with me on this, Simon. I do know, <laughs> but I, I do have to say, I, I do, I just, I don't know. I just prefer the Boeing Dreamliner. Dreamliner. Yes, I, and I'm going the other way. I'm going to have to say, and not just because you've said that, but I'm going uh, the other way. Going with the A380. But having said that, um, I've flown Virgin Atlantic uh, Airlines uh, from uh, Richard Branson for many years, um, quite a lot recently, and uh, in their early day as well. And uh, they mainly got all their uh, Boeing 747-400s, uh, the uh, Airbus A340s, and their extra range ones, and the A340-600s. Um, but having said that, the, a lot of the... Uh, aircraft are getting old but the i still like the uh jumbo mm. experience the 747-400 a lot of a lot of virgin atlantic's uh 747-400s are now coming up to 15 years old yes yes mm. I've flown on the tubular bell uh, bubbles bubbles and um uh one or two other uh, ones because they're all uh named and uh which i enjoy and uh but the there could be a new I think the new 747... 800. 800 mm. uh, as a possibility that they may uh, take on board. I like, I like it when air, uh, when airlines name their aircraft. I think that's really good. Yes, <laughs> yes. They're all uh, fancy names. Um, yeah. You've got your t- the Tubular Bells, um, which I don't know whether they've still got in service. Uh, I'll have to look, because you give me a magazine, which mm. I've still got, mm. of uh, all the names of all the aircraft. Uh, but if you Google it, I'm sure you can find out what... Do you remember um, British Caledonian back yes. back in the days? Do you remember they used to name all their aircraft after locks, yes. Scottish Scottish locks? Yes, um, which uh, which were really good. You know, you know Loch Lomond, and they had. Yes. Um, I don't know if they had a Loch Ness or not, but uh, <laughs> they had they named all their aircraft, and you, I think Southwest as well in in the states. They also, I think, they named some of their aircraft. Um, obviously, Virgin do. BA as well. Yes. Um, British Airways, they do name their aircraft. Because um, <clears throat> some people won't know this, but it was called Caledonian to start with, and then it was called British Caledonian because they weren't on a share with British Airways, so they were part of the same firm. Um, yeah, so it's pretty good. I've flown British Caledonian. Yes. I, I talked about that last time I've flown them as well, so... That was um, that was on the TriStar. Yes, was. me too. Fantastic. In it to lose. But uh, British Caledonian actually ceased operations in 1988. Really? Mm, yeah, that's quite that's quite a few years ago now. Yes, it is. Yeah. And they had a fleet size of 26 aircraft. Um, they they actually had quite a mixed fleet really of aircraft. British yeah. Caledonian, Boeing, uh, McDonnell Douglas, <laughs> BAC 111s. Um, and DC-10s, they had McDonnell Douglas DC-10s. 
But uh, yeah, anyway, moving moving across now. Well, we're I moving could, off I, the story now. I could uh, <laughs> I could start talking about Britannia Airlines, and then I would. Uh... Oh, Britannia! Yeah, yeah. We're gonna have to have to ask uh, the listeners now. Um, look look back to your past um, um, of flying, all the times you've flown on holiday stuff. Let us know your your favourite uh, Seast airline. You know the the airline you flew on, which is no longer in service. Um, let us know what uh, your favourite one of my favourites uh, would have to be um, British Island Airways yes. BIA on uh, a BAC 111 <laughs> and mine uh, I'm definitely going to say this was uh, Air Anglia Air Anglia which um, in some ways is still going um, because KLM uh, took over it used to be called KLM UK and then it was just uh, KLM they put that into their own business um, but Oh, one of the uh, founders of uh, Air Anglia still works for Flybe, uh, so I think uh, that's you could say it's still uh, going. And I used to fly the DC three Dakota, or well, not it. fly it, but <laughs> actually um, uh, go on that to Amsterdam when I was a little boy. Uh, and uh, I actually had Fokker twenty eights as well. Yes, uh, they got quite a few uh, mm. aircraft. Uh, the F twenty sevens. Um, so yeah, I got very fond memories of that. They ceased operations in 1980, Simon. Really? Mm, yeah, Air Anglia, founded in 1970. Yes. And their company slogan was "Bigger than you think." Yes. Yeah, and, and they were based at Norwich Airport. Yes, yeah. and quicker than you think as well was there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, they had Fokker 28s, uh, Fokker 27 friendships in yeah. 1978. Yes. Air Anglia had. Um, yes, and if you want to look on uh, some of the photos of those aircraft, if you go on the airliner's net, um, you will actually, uh, and Google that and pick the aircraft, it will actually uh, show you the aircraft, uh, Teesside, Glasgow, Norwich, Luton, Stansted. And they used to, one thing I can't understand why airlines don't do now, they used to do Norwich to London Heathrow. Can you, that is that is good, isn't it? That's a good idea. Yeah, it's uh, down on traffic. It, start, it started to get quite expensive because um, I've actually done that two or three times. But you were up and then you were down again. But it was uh, quite um, quite a good route. Mm. Short, but if uh, the traffic uh, nowadays is quite uh, a lot busier. So I know one thing, if I uh, had the chance to fly from Norwich to um, London Heathrow, I would do that. But um, that is uh, impossible at the moment. It definitely cut down, like I said, on uh, traffic and stuff that yes. uh, you normally tend yes. to get. But, I think uh, uh, what we'll do, if we, um, another podcast, we'd perhaps talk, talk about, uh, say, an airline um, that's no longer here. No longer here. In uh, a bit more detail. Yeah. So if you're listening then, when you're listening to this, uh, send drop us an email via the website or uh, just post something on Facebook. Let us know what your favourite uh, airline from, from the yesteryear is, uh, an airline no longer in uh, service. And uh, let us know what uh, what air- airline you want us to focus on. That could be any airline, really. Um, like we said, as long as it, uh, it uh, sort of ceased to exist now. Yeah, Air UK. Air UK, yeah. Uh, air, air Europe, I think. But that's Air Europa, I think. Yes. Has, um, has sort of been re- reclassed as now. Yes, because a lot of the aircraft from uh, Air Anglia and Air UK are um, at the Aviation Museum and also at the Flixton Museum. Mm. So, And uh, when I went in there, they've got a lot of their old... Uh, um, sort of flight bags and uh, goodies are still <laughs> in the uh, little museum there, so it's quite interesting. Yeah. Next piece of news then, a uh, bit of local news, Simon. Back uh, to Norwich Airport back again. Back to Norwich Airport again. 
Um, Norwich Airport uh, this week um, has had a bit of a jobs boost in preparation for the start of another busy summer season. Over 50 new jobs have been created at Norwich International Airport. The new staff will work in a number of passenger-focused areas, including baggage handling, working on the apron during aircraft turnarounds and in the terminal on check-in and customer care duties, and also within the security and catering concessions part of the airport. Pleasingly, for the first time this summer, some of the uh, vacancies have been filled by students from City College Norwich. And this came about as a direct result of the student takeover at the Norwich Airport earlier this year. Gary Blake, Customer Services Manager, said that he's delighted uh, that the link established between the airport and City College uh, Norwich following the student takeover has resulted in us being able to offer the chance of employment to some of the students who apply for positions following the takeover. Boosting staff numbers for the summer season helps to ensure customer services are standards are met and the passenger's journey through the airport is a pleasurable experience. Andrew Bell, CEO of Norwich International Airport, said that uh, we are pleased to welcome so many new recruits to our airport team this summer and delighted that our relationship with City College Norwich has helped students take their first steps into their chosen line of work. Everyone at the airport works extremely hard to maintain high levels of service uh, with the aim of being the airport of choice for friendliness and great customer service. See, now I want a job at Norwich City Airport. Oh, Norwich Airport, uh, Simon. I want to work there. Yeah, so... Why don't I ever get a job offered there? Yeah, I did look into that. There's quite a few jobs there because um, they got Spravier, um, they got KLM Engineering. Um, I'd be more than happy collecting FOD off round, round the air, the taxiways and runway. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, when I was there a few weeks ago, I was uh, driving around with uh, one of my friends, uh, uh, Darren uh, Childs from uh, work, took his uh, partner up there as well and we went and uh, took him up there for their first experience <laughs> and uh, the job that I would, <clears throat> wouldn't mind is uh, driving around in the car around the perimeter fence because they were going round and round obviously checking for security and <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, birds scaring and stuff like that that is a, a nice little job that I wouldn't uh, mind so right around the perimeter fence all day long in uh, one of the 4 by 4 vehicles or... what do you think? Yeah, I'd, I'd, like I said, Simon, I'd like I'd, I'd like any job working at any airport. But trouble is, you wouldn't get any work done because you just <laughs> we'd we'd be constantly producing <coughs> podcasts live from uh, from the uh, from the airport. Yeah, that yes. would be great. So if anyone uh, anyone who who owns an airport is uh, listening, um, me and Simon would like a job working uh, at an airport. Uh, we'll do anything. Um, <laughs> sweeping up, sweeping up, litter picking. As long as it's outside within within uh, a view of an aircraft. Yes. <laughs> We're mad, Simon. We're mad. Next piece of news then uh, is uh, from the Zuva World website. Um, this is regarding in-flight food. And uh, they've done a, a research, a holiday research survey, and they've found that 65% of us are dissatisfied with in-flight food. Um and it's over Europe. It's done over the uh, the survey has been done over over the whole of Europe, and they've um, come up with a sixty five percent dislike of food. Um, only five point six percent referred to high altitude food as tasty. Um, Zuva asked nearly two thousand holidaymakers for their opinion, and most said that they found the food on board flights not so tasty. 
and that 25% thought the food tasted disgusting, while 30% said that the food was reasonable. Big difference um, uh, between budget and scheduled airlines, according to um, the survey uh, they'd done, was between airlines, and the complaints were not just about the quality of the food on budget airlines, but also about its price. Many travellers found the price of food exorbitant and consumers also noticed, however, that the, uh, the cuisine is much more palatable on more expensive flights. Um, it says here that Germans were most critical. The Dutch were slightly less negative. Um, the French represent the average European opinion and uh, the Polish have a more positive um, reaction on in-flight food. Uh, the Belgians were the most negative um, than the average European. And conditions on board contribute to poor food taste as well. But it's always the food that is the culprit. And it's often not the quality of the in-flight food, but rather than the conditions in the plane that are determined to uh, detrimental to our taste buds. Cabin pressure makes both savoury and sweet flavours less intense, while sour and bitter taste remain largely unaffected. Scent and smell also functions less well on aircraft, according to research, and 80% of human taste is influenced by the smell. There we go, Simon. Yes, that's... Um... I, do you know, I can honestly say, in all the years I've been flying, I've, I've probably only ever had one not very nice meal on an aircraft. Yes, and I know... Um... Virgin Atlantic uh, Airlines, which I'll talk about quite a lot. Um, I've flown with them, like I said, quite a lot of times. And uh, their thing that they do now, which I think is quite good, when the movie plays, they bring around uh, ice cream and drinks. No, oh, that's good. So <laughs> it's, it's like being like, at the cinema. It is. That, that is, that is what, yeah. a part of uh, why they do it, because to make you feel as though you're in, in the cinema watching your movie. That's a good idea. So um, bringing around ice cream and drinks. Um, and, that, and then sometimes... On the long haul flights, it does happen twice, and uh, also another thing on the uh, in-flight foods. I know one of the uh, airline foods as most sort of memorable for me was uh, flying uh, Singapore Airlines, and uh, it was just out of this world. And that was even in economy, and uh, it was quite exotic with prawns, uh, fresh vegetables, and and lots of uh, chicken, uh, which was really nice. So. So complaining passengers are already causing a number of companies to <coughs> think up new in-flight food. Passengers uh, with the Turkish-Dutch um, uh, Corendon can now order croquets on flights that are freshly fried in the plane. Even famous chefs are getting involved in improving menus now. Top chef Heston Blumenthal has been asked to improve menus on board British Airways flights. And Gordon Ramsay has already succeeded in compiling menus for Singapore Airlines. Yes, so there you go. That, that, <laughs> just, that tells you um, on a plate, really. But like it, it, it does sound that, uh, on that uh, report, though, that uh, the, the, you know, the actual in-flight um, conditions can affect how you perceive the taste and smell of uh, meals on board. So something that might be fantastic, you might think is mediocre as a meal. Yeah. But uh, I have to say, I, you know, of all the airlines I've flown on, I've you know only ever had one sort of you know naff meal, I suppose. Yeah. Really, um, I must admit the breakfast coming back uh, from the 
United States a bit of a hit or miss on mm. certain airlines. I won't mention any, but um, <laughs> yeah, uh, my mum as well. Sometimes you get a croissant or you get something mm. hot. But um, there's nothing better than good old scrambled eggs and uh, <laughs> baked beans and um, a little bit of uh, gammon or bacon and a few mushrooms and a nice hot steaming coffee or tea. You just and, want to uh, and some orange room. juice. A, a nice calf on board. Yeah. Where you can have a, uh, Bungie a big, calf. Big bra- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, our, lo- our <coughs> local calf. Yeah. Have a have a restaurant. It'll be good to have an uh, an A three eighty with uh, the upper deck having a restaurant, um different restaurants on up uh, on the upper deck that you could visit on the flight. <coughs> there's there's a there's an idea for all the airlines. Look, have a have the upper deck on an A three eighty with different um Buffet. types, di- types of um uh, restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> We're passionate about flying, but we're passionate about, about food. food. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! So another uh, another story. Then moving on with the Travel Mole website, uh, and uh, this one is uh, regarding uh, airlines with the rudest flight um, attendants revealed in a survey. Findings from a new poll assess the uh, rudeness rating of uh, 14 North American airlines, and it's thrown up a few surprises. The results of the Airfare Watchdog Commission survey found that flight attendants at budget airline Spirit uh, to be the rudest of the 14 airlines assessed. However, coming second behind Spirit's 26% share of the poll was Air Canada at 11%, and Virgin America in fourth with 9%. <clears throat> Even Airfare Watchdog founder and President George Herbosia found the Virgin America ranking a surprise, especially as it had come out top in airline quality rating studies just a few weeks earlier. Alaska Airlines and Southwest fared best for flight crew customer experience, each gathering just 1% of the vote. A total of 3,400 frequent flyers were asked to choose from 14 airlines and the results were weighted by the number of passengers flown each airline between January and October last year to allow for the fact that larger airlines will naturally have a bigger response. So the uh, results then uh, of the uh, the more um, rudest flight attendants then, so Spirit was first, Air Canada in second place, Frontier... Uh, were the next one on the list. Virgin America, Allegiant, United, US Airways, American, Airtran, and the uh, Delta were next after that, and then Hawaiian and JetBlue, and the top two being Alaska and Southwest Airlines. So Alaska and Southwest are, according to this survey, the best for happy crew. Yes, I will actually um, uh, agree with that because I've uh, flown Alaska Horizon Airlines, which is um, the same airline, but they just use two different names, and uh, had pleasant flights from uh, LAX up to uh, Mammoth Lakes, um, Yosemite Airport, uh, numerous times with with them, and uh, always find them very pleasant and uh, a pleasure to fly with. Mm. Um, Flown up there on the uh, Dash Q400s, uh, which Flybe use as well, so... uh, I think they need to do a survey like this of European carriers, yes, Simon. Yes, um, that, that would be good. I think definitely a, a yes. European carrier survey should be done. Yes. 
So, uh, so yeah, so that you can uh, you can see that uh, that list then on the Travel Mall website. You'll see uh, you can see that list of the airlines there. So, like we said, the best one Southwest, and the worst one is Spirit. So, moving on then, uh, another news story for this week: a drunk passenger. And this is. Um, something that popped up on my phone because we've always got our um alerts on for yes. uh, uh you know on the on the flight radar and yes. the plane finder apps and uh, i got the alert come up on the phone with the um the hex or the squawk code i should say on the yes. phone and this one was a drunk passenger that caused uh, a virgin australia hijack scare uh, an intoxicated passenger was apparently behind a hijacking scare aboard a Virgin Australia Boeing 737-800. The aircraft was operating service VA-41 on the Brisbane-Denspar route, apparently close to landing, when the aircraft's transponder started squawking the distress code for a hijacking. Sources at the Indonesian Air Force have told Flight Global that the aircraft <laughs> landed at approximately 1,400 hours at Denspar Nugurai International Airport, where it was moved to a remote area and was being handled by security forces. Another observer noted that a drunk Australian passenger was removed from the aircraft, which remained stationary on the tarmac. Virgin Australia denied the aircraft had been involved in a hijack, and reports that a Virgin Australia aircraft was hijacked en route were not correct. The aircraft in question landed safely and at no point was the safety of the passengers ever in question. The aircraft in question obviously landed safely and uh, the whole incident has been uh, has been solved and resolved. The aircraft res- involved in incident uh, is uh, the aircraft registration Victor Hotel Yankee India Foxtrot according to the uh, tracking websites. So, some a, a scare that wasn't really. Yes, yeah, so I think they put the wrong uh, um, code out on this uh, for a hijack, and uh, because I've uh, read quite a bit about this, and uh, I've tried to tone it down a bit because it got all hyped up into a yeah. hijacking, and uh, it was just a drunk and disorderly person on board. Now, I do believe, um, looking at my uh, Facebook um, forums and pages, that um, they do have a code for uh, a disorderly uh, passengers. Uh, code but i don't know what that is um and i've obviously uh thought this was a hijacking but it wasn't so no there's been a few instances in the over the last sort of year of um, passengers being a bit um um uh, unruly on yes. flights but they never squawk a, a hijacking code no um whether this was just a mistake or, yes, or I think it was. whether the pilot was just being cautious. Yeah. Um, I think they need to cut down uh, on the amount of al- alcohol um, that is sort of uh, given out to people on board, which I know mm. most airlines do now. I think um, they do keep tabs on, on yes, who has what. Yes, it used, used to be free for all, just drink as much as you can mm. in the whole flight. But now, A lot of airlines do. Emirates yeah. are the same. They offer um, a compliment, free complimentary drinks on yes. the flights, and you can have um, you, know, you can have as many as you Yes, as you I want. know uh, some airlines uh, do start charging. Uh, oh, soft drinks are still free, but um, alcoholic drinks, they do charge a small sort of amount. But um, So... So next piece of news from the Flight Global website, um, Air, uh, Airbus are indicating a potential 240-seater A320neo. Airbus uh, are intending to lift the A321neo's potential capacity to 240 passengers, up from a previous figure of 236. 
The airframer had currently laid out plans to offer a reconfigured cabin and door arrangement on the type which is currently restricted to 220 seat maximum. Combining an extra overwing exit and new space saving aft cabin it would give the A321 the ability to accommodate 236 seats. But a recent Airbus Group Investor presentation detailing the A321neo states the type will have up to 240 seats and places the twin jet in the 180 to 240 seat bracket. The presentation also confirms the airframer's plans to raise the A320's accommodation to 289 seats. And Flight Global revealed last August or last uh, year, sorry, that uh, Airbus was studying a 189 seat configuration on the type, although the manufacturer had not indicated uh, in the nature of any modifications. The presentation indicates that uh, 31 rows of six abreast seats, a total of 186, can be achieved by combining forward seats and a 29-inch pitch with aft seats at 28-inch pitch and installing the space flex rear galley and lavatory unit. This also frees space in the aft inclusion of another three seats and a cabin attendant station bringing overall seating up to 189. And modifications on both types of aircraft, the A321 and the A320, increase their capacity, are subject to certification and obviously approval. Um, I've not flown on the A321. Uh, I've flown on the A320 quite a few times before. Very similar to the uh, 737 800. But uh, the A321, <coughs> 321, excuse me, is uh, is uh, quite a popular aircraft now yes, because of its um, yes. its high density of passengers. Yes, I've uh, thrown the uh, flown the A319, 320. I don't. I think I may have flown the 321 a couple of times, but slightly very, slightly longer. Yeah, they're very, all very similar um, in configuration, but just uh, slightly longer as uh, the numbers get higher. So yeah. A lot of airlines do use, I mean, uh, uh, EasyJet, they're all uh, mostly Airbus yes. A320s. I think uh, a lot of budget airlines are either one uh, are on the A320 sides or A321s and 319s or they're on the 737 uh, 800s. Mm. Which is another popular aircraft yes. as well. So last uh, last story then, um, Flight Global one as well. Again, this time, Shadong Airlines signs a deal for 50737s worth $4.65 billion at list price. The order, part of the carrier's 13th five-year plan, comprises of 34737 MAX aircraft and 16737-800s. And the carrier has disclosed on the Shetsen Stock Exchange the aircraft are scheduled to be delivered between 2016 and 2020. The Chinese carrier says it will use cash flow from its operation, bank loans and other funding options to finance the aircraft purchase. Uh, it adds that the purchase will help the carrier increase its capacity to meet future demand and the 737 MAX aircraft are going to be equipped with the CFM International Leap 1B engines. Uh, Flight Global's Ascend Fleets database shows that the Shedong Airlines has 67 737s and 7 Bombardier CRJs in its fleet. And the Shedong Aviation Group, a conglomerate based in Shandong City, owns 42% of the airline, while Air China has a 22.8% stake. So good news for Boeing again then, uh, yes, Simon. Yes, a lot seems to be a lot of um, smaller aircraft, These, as we were talking, the 737-800s. 
um, being ordered and uh, that is uh, one of their popular sort of uh, aircraft and uh, I'm sure we're going to see the 737-900 very soon so yeah in this country I hope some more of those I hope yeah the 900s they're not quite so popular in this country no not at the moment the uh, 800 seem to be the uh, Mm. most popular at the moment Right, so that brings the news to a close this week then, Simon. Yes. That was uh, not much this week. No, um, and uh, I've uh, got a few little things um, yep. on the military side, um, but it's fairly quiet. Um, having said that, uh, we are approaching the air show season, so... Yeah, and uh, we are going to come back to you with some more bits and pieces after this. Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on. Aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Grant, Grant, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. we go. <laughs> Don't forget, you too can contact the show and leave your messages for Simon and Carlos. Contact them via their website at www.plaintalkinguk.com or email them at plaintalkinguk at hotmail.com. Send them your messages. They really want to hear from you. And now, it's time to visit the cockpit and join the man who puts the S in safe. It's the plane safety from the flight deck segment with Captain Pip. Hi everybody, Pilot Pip here. I remember visiting flight decks as a kid going on holiday when you could still do that sort of thing. And one of the first questions I'd always ask is, how fast are we going? And the answer was always an impressively large number of miles per hour. In fact, I sometimes get asked this question myself by excited kids or even their parents when they come on board. But I'm always torn as to what to tell them. Should I give them the easy, lots of miles per hour answer that may well impress them? Or the correct answer, which is, well, that depends. There are several different ways of referencing an aircraft speed. And which one we use depends upon the context in which we're talking and the stage of flight. And speed is everything in an aeroplane. It defines the aerodynamic qualities of the wing and is the difference between flying safely and falling out of the sky. So we need to pay great attention to speed and how we measure it. Almost all aeroplanes these days use knots as the unit of measurement, so I'll try and stick to that. And the primary instrument for measuring speed is the pitot tube, named after the 18th century French engineer Henri Pitot. And this is the small metal device you see sticking out of the front of aircraft on the nose, usually just below the cockpit windows. And the pitot tube is actually quite a simple little device. It's a form of barometer that measures the pressure of the air entering it via the forward motion of the aircraft and compares it to the static outside air pressure. The result is then calibrated into knots 
and is fed to the airspeed indicator in the cockpit. And then this is unsurprisingly called the indicated airspeed, and it's the first way in which we measure aircraft velocity. Now, all aircraft have a defined maximum indicated airspeed at which they can fly, sometimes called VNE, or velocity never exceed. Fly faster than this speed, and the loading on the wings may become too much for them to handle. Conversely, fly too slowly, and you risk stalling the aircraft. Now, it may be apparent that 100 knots as measured by the pitot tube at high altitude is not going to be the same as 100 knots measured near the ground. Think of air as being made of small bits or particles, if you like. As you'll be aware, air gets thinner the higher up you go. There are less bits or particles of air at high altitude. So for a pitot tube to measure 100 knots higher up, it actually needs to fly faster through that air to get the same pressure inside it as the 100 knots it measures in the thicker, denser air nearer the ground. And this faster speed is called true airspeed, and it's the second way in which we reference aircraft velocity. The relationship between indicated airspeed and true airspeed is linear. As an aircraft climbs into the thinner air at altitude with a constant indicated airspeed, its true airspeed will be steadily increasing. And we use true airspeed for navigational purposes primarily, combining it with wind speed and direction to obtain accurate headings to fly. And this brings us to a third measurement of speed, which is ground speed, or the number of nautical miles travelled across the Earth in a given time. Why, you might ask, is this any different to true airspeed? Well, imagine an aeroplane travelling at 400 knots in one direction, then factor in that the air it's flying through is moving in the opposite direction at, say, 100 knots. The resulting movement of the aircraft across the ground will therefore be 300 knots. It's the same effect as when you walk along a, a moving walkway at airports. Your own walking speed plus the speed of the walkway gives you a faster speed across the ground. Or if you're lazy like me, you can just stand there and let the walkway do all the work for you. Again, we use ground speed for navigational purposes, but it also has other uses. For instance, GPS-derived ground speed should be monitored during taxiing in low visibility conditions or fog to ensure safe ground operations. And an awareness of ground speed whilst landing is also important, particularly in instances where we're operating at very high altitude airports, where the air is thinner and hence the true airspeed and ground speed will be higher than usual. High altitude airports such as Samadan in Switzerland at over 5,500 feet, or Aspen in Colorado at nearly 8,000 feet, are usually located in mountainous areas where manoeuvring down in the valleys may be required. And the high true airspeed and ground speed will result in much wider turning radiuses, which could be critical if there is limited room to manoeuvre inside the valleys. The last measure of speed that we use is the coolest sounding one, because they use it a lot in Top Gun, and that's Mark number. And the Mark number is the velocity relative to the local speed of sound, Mark 1 being equal to the speed of sound. Now, the speed of sound is not a fixed figure. It varies with temperature, so it's different at different altitudes. As a rough guide at sea level and plus 15 degrees Celsius, the speed of sound is approximately 660 knots. And up at the tropopause, that part of the atmosphere where the, air, the temperature remains constant at roughly minus 56 degrees Celsius, the speed of sound is roughly 570 knots. And we use Mark number for ATC purposes, air traffic control purposes, keeping aircraft separated from each other, particularly on oceanic routes where no radar coverage is available. 
For instance, aircraft flying across the Atlantic at the same level may be separated by 20 miles, one in front of the other, and they'll both be instructed to maintain the same Mark number to maintain that 20-mile separation. But really, Mark number is used to define aerodynamic qualities. Just as there is a maximum indicated airspeed above which you'll run into problems, there's also a maximum Mark number or critical Mark number. If you exceed this critical mark number, the smooth airflow over the wings will begin to be destroyed and break down as it becomes supersonic, and the aircraft will begin to stall. So, whilst it was okay for Concorde to fly around at over twice the speed of sound, us mere mortals are confined to subsonic speeds, typically between 75 and 85% the speed of sound. So, what's the solution to this dilemma? Well, bring back Concorde, of course. So, there you have it. A brief review of aircraft speeds. So next time you're on an aeroplane and the captain tries to impress you by saying you're travelling at 800 kilometres per hour, you can impress him right back and say, hey, what's that in knots? And is that true airspeed or indicated airspeed? And what's our mark number? Yeah, that'll confuse him. So that's all for now, folks. Fly safe as always. Pilot Pip signing off. So with uh, his military and air show news, I'm going to hand you over to Simon. So if you're ready, Simon. Yes, okay. Um, yeah, let's go. So with his military and air show news, I'll hand you over to Simon. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, uh, the first uh, bit of news I've got here is the uh, Royal Netherlands Air Force owned McDonnell McDug- uh, Douglas DC-10 transport freight has been flown to the UK for scrapping uh, less than three years, years after it entered service. That's quite um, strange, isn't it? That is that's, that's, uh, not good at all. Three years, that can't be cost effective for just uh, three years on that. Um, I'm just wondering where um, they're flying them to the UK. Where do you think they're going to be scrapped? That could be flying into... Um, Runningthorpe or somewhere. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, that must, uh, probably uh, could be. Aircraft T-255 departed uh, Endhoven Air Base the last time on April 11th, which was my birthday, by the way, uh, <laughs> and was flown to Newquay Airport for UK dismantling. So uh-huh. there you go. It's uh, gone to Newquay Airport for dismantling. Originally operated by uh, United Airlines, this uh, DC-1030 was acquired in the Netherlands in 2004 and underwent an extensive modernisation before being delivered in May 2011 after lengthy project delays. It deemed surplus to requirements as part of a package of defence cuts announced later that year and subsequent efforts to find a new buyer for the 334 Squadron operated transport failed. Some parts of the, from the retired aircraft will be used to support Netherlands' retained pair of KDC-10 tanker transports, which have already received the same cockpit systems modifications as T-255. The nation's military airlift inventory also includes four modernised Lockheed Martin C-130Hs. That's a shame, really. That is. A lovely aircraft. Yes. Um, I just can't believe that it's been that cost-effective because they've done all that work in those sort of years to bring that into um, service and they've retired it that quickly so and the former United Airlines version yes, that one yes yeah. so I may have even flown on that one <laughs> yeah so the next piece of uh, news Australia is uh, confirming an order of 
$12.4 billion for the F-35, um, which is the, the aircraft that we're going to be uh, seeing uh, this season at the uh, Farnborough Air Show and also at Riyadh. Um, Australia has confirmed its acquisition of 58 Lockheed Martin F-35 Joint Strike Fighter aircraft, putting the value on this deal at $12.4 billion, which is um, uh, $11.5 uh, US dollars. Uh, 11.5 billion US dollars. Together, the Boeing F-818 Super Hornet and E-18G ground electronic warfare aircraft. The F-35 will ensure Australia maintains a regional air combat edge, says the nation's Department of Defence. The F-35 will also provide a, provide a major boost to the Australian's Defence Force Intelligence, Surveillance and Reconnaissance capabilities, it adds. The cost of the deal includes facilities, weapons and training. About 1.6 billion will be spent on building support infrastructure at two Royal Australian air bases. So that seems as though um, it's uh, being uh, quite a popular aircraft to be uh, ordered from uh, numerous countries now. The Australian defence industry has awarded over 355 million dollars in work that stands to win well in excess of 1.5 billion in the JSF-related production and support work over the life. Of the program creating long-term advanced manufacturing and engineering jobs the department adds the timing and size of the specific orders will depend on prime manufacturers meeting the agreed cost schedule and performance requirements as well as providing and continuing commitment to particip participation by the australian industry so i'm really looking forward to seeing this aircraft this year so i have yes, to say yes. there's been so much talk over the few months, last few months about the F-35. Yes, and, um, which is the Lightning II, um, as the UK it. are calling it. Um, and so many, you know, so many airlines, are, oh, hey, so many, um, you know, uh, military uh, um, um, countries and stuff are, are taking the F-35 <coughs> on and using yes. that and that. It'd yes, and that'd be nice. Um, once we do uh, get footage and pictures of it, we will actually uh, put them on our mm. um, Facebook uh, Plain Talk and website page and mm. our uh, website as well, so... Just keep uh, watch for that over the next uh, coming months, and um, you will see. Right, next bit of uh, information. Sikorsky achieves its first flight of manned unmanned Black Hawk. Sikorsky conducted the first flight demonstration of an op optional piloted UH-60 Black Hawk helicopter last month and development at its development test flight centre near West Palm Beach, Florida. During the 11th of March flight, the aircraft hovered and conducted flight operations under the control of an operator using a man-portable ground control station, the company announced on the 22nd of April. The flight of the demonstrator aircraft, which Sikorsky calls the manned-unmanned resupply aerial lifter, advances the technology towards a point where the US Army can achieve autonomous cargo delivery. The company says helicopters capable of flying manned or unmanned missions would allow military to increase its sorties while maintaining crew rest requirements, it notes. Unmanned Black Hawks could be used for resupply missions and exhibition... Exp... Was it? Exp... <laughs> That's a long word for this time in the morning, Simon. Expeditionary. Expeditionary operations, allowing crews to operate more sensitive operations, say Sikorsky. The mural program is a joint effort involving Sikorsky, the US Army... Aviation Development uh, Directorate 
and Army's Utility Helicopters Project Office. Sikorsky says it has been developing the technology with internal funding since 2007. In 2013, the company signed a research and a development agreement with the Army to demonstrate the system using two of the service Black Hawks. The same year, Sikorsky introduced a program, the Matrix technology, aiming to develop software designed to improve the safety, capability and reliability of autonomous operational piloted vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. Matrix aims to give rotary and fixed wing aircraft a high level of system intelligence needed to complete complex missions with minimal human oversight and low altitudes where obstacles abound, Sikorsky says. Wow. Unmanned Blackhawks. Yes. That's uh, pretty awesome in that sign. Mm. Um, I mean, a lot of air... They are trying this with a lot of different aircraft now. Obviously, you've got the, the usual UAVs or drones um, that uh, obviously are on, on a lot smaller scale. Um, obviously, using the Blackhawk, um, flying that unmanned, that's uh, that's pretty amazing, Simon. It is, yes. Um, it's quite um, interesting. Right, next piece of uh, news... The typhoon starts wind tunnel tests with conformal fuel tanks. The Eurofighter Typhoon's proposed conformal fuel tank, CFT, configuration has entered a wind tunnel testing in the UK. Partnered company BAE Systems has revealed. BAE Systems says it is currently assessing the aerodynamic characteristics of carrying two fuselage, fuselage mounted conformal tanks on the Typhoon aircraft using a high-speed wind tunnel at its Wharton site in Lancashire. The test will help accelerate clearance process for such tanks to be integrated on the Typhoon, offering cre- increased range and flexibility of the aircraft, the company adds. So, um, extra fuel tanks. Looking at this uh, picture of the one in the wind tunnel here, it looks a bit like, um, if you're looking at the Space Shuttle um, when it lands, it looks like the two uh, sort of boosters on the back, doesn't it? A little <laughs> it bit. It does. It does resemble that. Yeah, it looks. It does look like the sort of front uh, view image of a, of the shuttle with, like you said, with the two booster um, bits on the back. It's uh, it's quite a strange design, really. I, yes. I mean, you can see what they've done it to obviously, like we say, increase the range. range yes. Um, <clears throat> of the aircraft. I hope it doesn't actually. Um, cut down on its um, sort of um, take away any of its sort of flying uh, dynamics uh, doing mm. this um, but actually um, looking at it it looks uh, quite interesting I wonder whether they'll be they'll be fixed or uh, be, be able to be jettisoned yes. the tanks themselves yes. yeah so um, it was sort of displayed at the Dubai Air Show last November and on the that adaptation model of it yeah yes um, so uh it's quite interesting to see if you if you look on the Flight Global website, you'll be able to see um, the uh, wind tunnel pictures of this uh, of the of the aircraft. The conformal structures would free up underwing pylons, frequently used to ex- uh, to carry external fuel tanks. Um, but uh, they're obviously going to use these, um, like we said, these fuel tanks on which are mounted. They're mounted above the fuselage, yes, aren't they? Yes, sort of be- yes. Behind the uh, the cockpit. Yes. Which is uh, yeah, that's definitely uh, definitely want to go and view that one to see uh, to see what that looks like for your for your own eyes. Ah, the next story then, Simon. This one we covered last in the last episode, didn't we? Yes. Um, about the CH fifty three Ks. Yes. Um, the U.S. Navy is buying two additional Sikorsky um, test aircraft to be used to demonstrate the maturity of manufacturing process. The two additional aircraft 
which will system demonstration test articles uh, in addition to four ordered last year by the Navy as part of a $435 million contract. The service tells Flight Global that the additional orders are no result of any changes to design or production of the heavy lift aircraft helicopter. The procurement is targeted at manufacturing processes, says the Navy. It adds that the SDTAs will help ensure the readiness of production systems, facilities, tooling, test equipment, inventory and supplier management. In 2013 media release, Sikorsky denied the role of the SDTA more directly, saying the US Marines Corps will use the aircraft to verify it meets requirement in carrying an external load of 12,200 kilograms or 26,900 pounds over a mission radius of 110 nautical miles, 204 kilometers. CH-53K will grow, have a gross weight of 39.9 tonnes and be powered by General Electric GE-38 1B engines. So, so the, the, so the Sikorsky uh, CH-53K Super Stallion um, has uh, new composite rotor blades yes. and a wider cabin than the previous variants yes. of the Super Stallion. Um, it's going to be the one of the it'll be the largest and heaviest helicopter in the U.S. military, and they're planning to deliver around two hundred uh, of these uh, helicopters um, at a total cost of over twenty three billion dollars, and uh, a unit price of uh, one of these at the moment um, is coming in at around eighty four uh, million. US dollars for one of these yes. helicopters. They're quite a, an interesting helicopter to look at. Um, have you ever seen a Super Stallion at all? Any no, air shows? Um, I think I may have done, but um, sort of so many helicopters and aircraft at an air show, that one sort of I haven't paid much uh, attention uh, to. So um, I'm, uh, I will keep my eyes uh, peeled for that. Eyes to the skies, as yes. they say, definitely. So have you got uh, any uh, other snippets of uh, military stuff? Have you got some air show news for us, Simon? This um, possibly a little bit. I'm just uh, looking at the... Um, um, you may have uh, read it on the uh, uh, news or seen it on the uh, site of uh, the Daily Mail. Um, there's a new uh, secret aircraft which has uh, come out. Now, I haven't... Um, uh, I've seen a couple of pictures of it, and it can go around the world um, very quickly. And we're talking Mac five and six here. Um, I'm just actually trying to find it. I should have got this uh, sort of organised a little before, but it was actually uh, seen over the Texas area. It's been photographed twice now um, in the last sort of uh, month or so, um, and uh, it's just, I think it's uh, like the Hypersaur aircraft, um, which they said didn't exist and uh, now has um, existed. But I have put some pictures on our plane talking uh, site, um, uh, which is someone's taken two photographs of this at high altitude. And it looks a bit like the B2, but then you have a closer look. Um, and it's uh, it's a little bit different to that. Um so it's a secret aircraft. Um, it's actually designated the RQ-180. Yes. Um, th- now, it could be called the uh, SR-72 aircraft, uh, which has been suggested. Um, so, But this is quite interesting, actually, because there has been a little bit of a delay um, on a new secret aircraft, and we were due one. 
Um, so I'm just looking uh, at the pictures here. Right, I've got the picture up now, and I can uh, show Carlos this. So what do you think of this, Carlos, looking at this? This is a, a real uh, picture. <laughs> it looks like a triangle flying yes, in the sky. Yes, and you can see it's not the uh, B2, but looking at this, um, someone has taken a, it says here, a new photo of a mysterious flying object of a Kansas has been revealed. It appears to be the same aircraft that was snapped over Texas last month. The exact identity of the aircraft remains a mystery, but rumours abound that it could be a secret jet, a mysterious flying object that was snapped flying over Wichita, Kansas by Jeff Templin. It resembles a similar unidentified aircraft streaking across the skies in Texas last month. So it's a bit grainy, the photo, but I'm 100%. This is not a made-up photograph, and looking at this, you can see that aircraft um, sort of quite um, easily there. What do you think? Well, if you search the RQ80, uh, RQ180 on the, on the internet, there's I mean, there's 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 a bit of information, not a huge amount, um, and it's kind of like a, a, a B2 looking blackbirdish type uh, stealth. Stealth aircraft, really. Yes. Simon, I think you can say um, it definitely looks uh, definitely looks like quite a stunning aircraft. Yes, um, I, I suppose that's one we'll have to look forward to. Yes, at, uh, possibly at, a future air show. Riyadh two thousand and twenty <laughs> or something <laughs> yes. like that. Yeah, yeah. There we go. There's another picture there. The Triangle of a Texas. Uh, two photographers captured a mysterious object flying over Texas last month. So that actually uh, looking at that that this is not a made up uh, footage this is um a real aircraft here as you can see so um yeah so the next piece of news um all the hostilities that have been going on uh, with uh, Russia and the Ukraine um the actual Russians have been winding the British up a little bit um <laughs> which is nothing new <laughs> Um, The typhoons have been uh, scrambled yet again, um, which is on a regular basis. It's been a bit more often. With the um, Russians flying in international airspace and then just just short of UK airspace, um, they scrambled the typhoons, two typhoons the other day uh, from Maria Flossimouth um, in Scotland um, to intercept these two bears. And uh, there are pictures of the uh, typhoons sort of right or hot on the wings and tails of the big bears, which is that um, has the strange propulsion system uh, prop uh, aircraft, which looks like a B-52, but just with uh, rotating uh, props that op- um, operate in uh, different directions, which is strange. What do they call that, where the um, um, actual props are going... Counter-rotating yeah, props. Yes, yeah. that's uh, going in the uh, opposite direction. Well, yeah, I've actually seen footage on YouTube of these, and they're really noisy, complex aircraft, um, which is something the Russians seem to be um, good at making, uh, weird and wonderful copies and aircrafts of um, similar shape to uh, the normal ones. Uh, but they're just winding up uh, a lot of people at the moment and uh, putting a few noses out <laughs> joint. But um, it's good that... Good that um, our operations and I suppose it's keeping us on our toes. Um, but we'll as soon as those uh, Russians start entering our airspace, we're scrambling them um, typhoons and uh, tornadoes. So yeah, just... they were um, they were Tupolev Tu ninety five strategic bomber and airborne surveillance aircraft. Yes, 
um, introduced into service in 1956. Yeah, so that really old aircraft. Yes. Um, and there's 500 plus have been produced of that aircraft. And I wonder how many of them are still serviceable. That's quite scary, isn't it? Yeah, they're quite... Uh, I think they're quite a menacing aircraft to they look, look at. Um, when you see them in the skies, they do look menacing. And that's uh, what they seem as though they're doing, menacing us. <laughs> that's it, menacing us, exactly. Uh, they're powered by four uh, Kuznetov NK-12M turboprops, producing 11,000 kilowatts of power each. Um, like I said, they're quite, uh, quite a long aircraft and uh, piloted by crew of seven uh, seven people it's quite a lot isn't it uh, flight engineers communications operators navigation operators tail gunner <laughs> and other uh, navigators as well on board and uh, with a wingspan of uh, 164 feet those ones so the tu-95 yeah um they've also got radar control guns and and they can also carry missiles as well mm. um but, uh, yeah, as Simon was saying, um, they soon got shooed away by uh, by our uh, our forces. And I know the typhoons are up in the air way, way before they uh, come into our space, but airspace. But once uh, they get near to our airspace... Um, uh, I don't think it was, I don't think it was a, a threat. Uh, I think no. They, they, they're like just like Simon said, they're just, they're just playing. Just, playing um, games, as usual. Seeing, uh, seeing how fast starfighters can get in the air, yeah, which, just, is, uh, uh, pushing, which is very fast. Pushing us, to, um, pushing us a little bit. But, um, but the TU-95 is actually being used by the Soviet Air Force, the Soviet Navy, and the Russian Air Force as well. They're the primary users of the uh, TU-95 bomber. Yes. So that is just about it, really. Um, not much to say on the air shows. I will give you a up, uh, proper update uh, next time, but we're approaching fast, and there's been plenty more aircraft added to the um, air show uh, sort of um, lists. And uh, as we uh, far ever sort of fast approach uh, the air show season, which is just just literally uh, weeks away, um, you can expect more sort of updates and uh, more information about uh, what's flying and where. So the Takano has been uh, given its full um, authorization for a display uh, 2014 season. So uh, that's uh, good to know that that's all passed and he's up and re- uh, ready to go. And they have uh, done one display already at one air show. So um, that's exciting. And all the others are um, just about gearing up and getting ready for this big, busy air show season so hopefully uh we'll be going to as many as we can this yes, year simon definitely yeah um we have uh in the last week we've booked our accommodation for that's the phone ringing <laughs> we'll uh, we'll disregard that that's just the home phone ringing there yes that's, that just proves us that this podcast yeah. is being filmed uh, or filmed or recorded <laughs> live i should say yes um was probably one of our listeners uh we are popular there it, we have do have a hotline here, and um, our phones are uh, turned off uh, for the moment because we are a busy uh, podcasting uh, company. Yes, that's that's absolutely true. So uh, this week we haven't. Um, I didn't get a chance to put our in focus aircraft on Facebook, um, but if you remember last week, we had Pilot Pip on the show from the Plane Safety Podcast. And uh, he uh, he obviously flies the Hawker 800. And uh, we did say that we would do an in-focus um, uh, point or uh, um, 
segment on on his aircraft. So uh, I think we'll we'll just do a quick one on that one while while we're here. Yes, okay. Uh, and next week I will, or this uh, after the show, I will put uh, our list of in focus aircraft for the next uh, show, episode nineteen, for you to to vote on. So the Hawker eight hundred, then Simon. Um, has been produced um, first by British Aerospace uh, between 1977 and 1993 and then was produced by Raytheon between 93 and 2007. And more recently, the Hawker 800 has been manufactured by Hawker Beechcraft um, and they started from 2007 till 2013. And the primary users, are there's pretty much... There's a lot of business uh, jet use across um, the the globe. There's been just over 650 built of the Hawker 800 aircraft, and it's a mid-size twin-engine corporate aircraft, and uh, it is a development of the British Aerospace BAE 125, and was assembled um, by Hawker Beechcraft. The later work, the later versions by Hawker Beechcraft. But as we said, was first started off by British Aerospace, so a true uh, uh, British-built aircraft. And Simon, yes. the uh, the Hawk eight hundred. So the general characteristics of the aircraft. Then um, it has a crew of two pilots um, with a capacity for passengers of eight, um, but can be increased to thirteen passengers. Has a length of fifty-one feet two inches, a wingspan of fifty-four feet four inches. And is powered, um, the later version is powered by two Honeywell TFE 7315BR turbofans, producing 4,660 pounds of thrust each. The maximum speed being 514 miles an hour or 448 knots, with a cruise speed of 402 knots or 463 miles an hour. The range uh, is up to uh, anything up to 5,000 uh, kilometres or 3,040 miles. And uh, it's quite a, sort of stunning, even the older versions are quite a sort of a, a stunning aircraft to look at, Simon. Yes. Um, has a service ceiling of 41,000 feet and a rate of climb of 9.9 miles per second or 1,948 feet per minute. Um, so just a little bit there on the Hawk 800. Um, obviously, if you want to uh, find out more about the aircraft and how it uh, how it feels to fly, then uh, if you follow uh, Pilot Pip on the Plane Safety Podcast, you can uh, send him an email and ask him uh, ask him what he thinks of the aircraft as he flies it every day. And uh, you can download his podcast via iTunes, as you can ours as well. And you can also uh, download uh, the Plain Talking UK podcast via our website at uh, plaintalkinguk.com. Yes, and uh, if you uh, look on our Facebook page, uh, Plain Talking uh, UK, um, you will actually see um, I've been putting up quite a lot of photos in the last few weeks, and I'll continue to do that as much as I can. Um, And uh, I'll show you the uh, video footage of the Blue Angels, um, which I thought was absolutely jaw-dropping stuff well how close they were and less than a foot apart and um how they can fly in formation i think that's close they fly even closer than the red arrows but they were just well it just looked like well it was less than a foot away from each aircraft while they're in formation um so there's some unbelievable footage um, which i put on there 
of the Blue Angels in training this year. It's quite spectacular. I've never seen the Blue Angels uh, fly on a display, and uh, hopefully one day uh, soon, in the next few years, I'm hoping to see them, because they very rarely come to the UK. I know the Thunderbirds, I've seen them a few times over in the UK at Riyadh, but um, Blue Angels are a, a d- display team uh, that I have yet to see um, in the UK, and I look forward to it. Um, if not, I'll uh, hopefully one day travel to the US to uh, see them, um, because they're quite a um, spectacular team to watch. So we will be, um, we'll be obviously with me and Simon going to Riyadh and Farnborough this year. We'll be following all the um, the air show groups or the uh, display teams and that who are going to be displaying at the air shows. Yes. We'll be taking loads of pictures and uh, we'll be putting them... Uh, I mean, we're at Riyadh for two days, aren't yes, we, Simon? Yes, uh, we've got the uh, pit day with the Red Arrows, so uh, there'll be quite a lot of stuff about the Red Arrows, uh, photos of the Red Arrows, so that's their 50th uh, year. Um, there'll be the BBMF. Um, we'll have... Uh, BBMF, Simon, you better explain. Yes, explain uh, to the listeners what BBMF if, is. Uh, I uh, always use it, um, and uh, I know the crew do, and a lot of uh, air show talk is uh, the BBMF is the Battle of Britain Memorial Flight, uh, which consists of one Lancaster, the Spitfires, the Hurricanes, and the Dakotas, and they've got Chickmunk and numerous other aircraft. So they're based at RAF Coningsby. Um, uh, so we'll be keeping an eye on them as well. Uh, the Tucano, um, I think we've got the Hawk uh, Mark II TA um, display team this year. So that'll be something new to look forward to. I haven't heard a lot about that, so I still hope that's going ahead. Um, we've got the Breitling Wingwalkers. Uh, we'll be keeping a close eye on them. The Red Arrows, obviously, and then all the other uh, aircraft. The Mr. Mina. I hope that is still on the airshow circuit, um, which I'm sure it will be. Um, I've got the Navy Black Cat helicopters from RAF Yeovilton. Um I'm just trying to think off the top of my head uh, what others. Can you think of any others? Um, I've got a lot of the um, uh, Duxford Flying Collection uh, aircraft uh, with the P-51 Mustangs and and um, you've got the F Sabre, um, A3, A6 Sabre. That should be uh, flying, fingers crossed. They do have a lot of problems with that because it's so old now. And it's one of the only ones flying in the world. Um, obviously, uh, the Sea King from Watsham, the Apaches, the Chinooks, um, and uh, numerous other aircraft. Which uh... don't forget, if you want to find out anything about the air shows that are going on around the UK, you can uh, click on the link via our website. If you go on uh, our website, there is a link to uh, the uh, Flightline website, which will tell you all the information on the air shows, big and small, that are happening all around the UK. Because there are quite uh, not only you know we we do talk about on the show we talk about obviously the the big air shows that are happening around the UK, but there are a lot of smaller air shows that happen around the UK which are just as good and yes, definitely. Um, have have great aircraft on display and flying. Um, so if you if you go on to uh, flightline dot um, org and uh, you can go on there and they've got a calendar on their website where you can look through and you can find uh, information on air shows that are happening, uh, like we said, all around the UK each month, so month by month. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I know there's one that, uh, there's one at Throckmorton uh, Airfield in Worcestershire on the 7th, 7th of June, um, which not only has um, aircraft but has emergency service vehicles as well there, yes. which, is, which is quite good. Um, but obviously our our big air show month is for us is going to be July this yes, year. Yes, it is, um, yeah. Where we'll be at Riyadh at uh, Fair, uh, RF Fairford in Gloucestershire. 
And then we've obviously got uh, Farnborough um, at Hampshire on the 14th and 20th of uh, July. And in between them, you've also, don't forget, you've got the on the 12th and the 13th of July, there's the Flying Legends Air Show at uh, Duxford Imperial War Museum at Cambridge, um, which is also uh, a yearly, a really good uh, air show to go to each year. Yes, and I think, um, if I remember rightly, you may be coming to Duxford with me uh, at the end of June, um, not end of June, end of May. Yes. On that Sunday. Hopefully, I've got uh, I've got a, a gig on the night before. Yeah, but, we'll see uh, how we go. I'm, hope, I'm hoping that uh, if I'm not up or back too late, and uh, we can get to that in yes. on the Sunday. Yeah, we'll see how we go. And uh, yeah, but um, even if we we aren't at air shows together, we'll still bring you um, all the air show information and updates uh, regarding each uh, day, whether if the weather's good, bad, or it's been cancelled or whatever. Um, due to weather or some other restrictions, but uh, we will keep you informed of all the air shows, and obviously the Queen's flight is uh, fast approaching as well, so we'll be giving you a list uh, when we get an update on that of what aircraft will be flying. Yeah, definitely, um, and also one of the air shows I think that we're going to be sort of not together at will be seething this year, isn't it? because that's on the September the 7th on what? Sunday. Yes, now... I've actually, um, did I tell you about the change last year, um, last podcast or the podcast before? Normally, the Seething and the Duxford ones are on the same date. But because I think there's been some change, Duxford have now changed theirs to the following week. So I may be coming to Seething ah. with you. <laughs> <laughs> and you may be coming to Duxford with me, so that may tie up another two air shows each. So, Blimey. what do you reckon? Do you want to do that? Well, I think I need to take out uh, take out a loan. I think to pay for all these um, these air shows that we're going to. Simon. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so, I think that's about all we've got. Uh, all we've got for the show, I think. Um, yeah, for now. For um, now. Um, we're going to bring episode number 18 to a close of the Plain Talking UK podcast. Don't forget you can uh, contact us via our website at uh, www.plaintalkinguk.com, plain spelt P-L-A-N-E. And you can also send us an email direct as well uh, to plaintalkinguk at hotmail.com. You can send us an email there as well. We'll want to hear from you. We definitely want to hear some uh, some. Uh, input from uh, from our listeners because we have got in- listeners um, all around the globe. We, we are uh, we're, we're worldwide. Worldwide, we are definitely uh, after only eighteen episodes. Can you believe it? <laughs> and um, I know that we're getting more and more popular each week um, because although uh, I have a lot of people sort of uh, laugh at uh, what what we do um, on the sort of more serious side, um, those people they do. Um, think uh, enjoy it but um well, we, hope, like, we hope you enjoy it anyway don't like to admit it but um <laughs> just want to say a quick um quick hello to um to someone who uh, likes and comments every now and again on our facebook page air smolik um he's uh, he does a personal blog on uh, facebook and uh, he's just popped up on there to say uh, uh he likes on the facebook page yes. so air smolik yes um hello. and i uh, um i'll say hello to him as well because um, I noticed on uh, Twitter he actually uh, mentioned us as well on there at the last yeah, few days. Yeah, so yeah, very, um, very kind. Yeah, it's all, always welcome uh, your comments, and uh, you uh, just all keep watching us. Uh, eyes to the sky. Eyes to the sky, definitely. So that's it then. We're going to bring the show to a close now, and uh, me and Simon are going to have uh, have a brew and uh, 
Simon's going to uh, get back to his uh, busy family life, aren't you, Simon? <laughs> yes. And uh, we'll come back uh, to bring you episode 19. 19? 19. Wow. Uh, very soon. So don't forget, get your emails in, get your questions in, get your uh, comments and stuff in. And don't forget, you can download us on iTunes, search for us on there, and uh, also download the shows. You can download them via our website as well. So that's it then, Simon. We'll bring episode 18 to a close. And uh, just want to say a big thank you to all our listeners from me for listening to the show. Uh, we love all our listeners. And don't forget to look out for us at the air show, uh, on the air show scene this year. And from you, Simon. Yeah, you take care. Um, and uh, we'll uh, be talking to you again uh, very soon with our next podcast. And uh, just remember, keep them eyes on, uh, firmly fixed on that sky. <laughs> yes, eyes to the sky. Goodbye, people. Bye. Bye.